Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey, Ben, how you doing today? Oh, doing pretty well. Um, yeah, how about you? Doing all right. So it's it's weird to me that uh, we are in late August at the time we're recording, and we are nowhere near the NBA champions. I'm not a big basketball fan, but that is just such a demonstration of how weird this year is, right? That's a good point. I didn't think about that, but uh, yeah, my my sister sent me something the other day uh, related to sports where the Braves mascot, I didn't know that they were still using a mascot, but he's out there trying to pump up the cardboard cutouts in the stands. So <laughs> that would be kind of a hard job to measure your results. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a statement when, uh, you know, during early summer, a uh, late spring, when a lot of big sports things tend to get going. I remember this year, like the most exciting, biggest sports, athletic sports event I saw was uh, was the Marble League uh, Championship, which is a thing this guy does on YouTube where he has like marbles compete and they uh, that uh, and he really amped it up since you know the Olympics got canceled this year. So uh, that is something uh, I didn't expect to have to become content with watching marbles compete in sports this year, correct? Yeah, I mean, it probably wouldn't have been at the top of the list, you know, at the beginning of the year, but uh, we've all had to adjust to reality. Well, speaking of adjusting and contentment, uh, I want to ask you, Ben, how did your past self foresee 2020 to be like for you? How did did, uh, little Ben growing up uh, that foresee your life to be as uh, old man Ben, bald old man Ben now? A little bit. You know, at one point I I thought that I would play Major League Baseball. Then reality set in. Um, I think for about a week I thought about being a doctor. And then reality set in that I'm squeamish and that was not going to work. But I certainly didn't foresee my my life being like it is currently in 2020 with all that's going on. Um, Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that things looked the way I expected them. Um, probably I had more grandiose visions of what things would be like um, than is reality. How about you? Yeah, I, I definitely isn't very different. So uh, I was not. Uh, you know, I think you should you should uh, follow everything I say. If I were to tell you that uh, I predicted twenty twenty would be like twenty twenty, but obviously I didn't, and nobody did. Uh, but growing up in general, I thought twenty nineteen or twenty twenty one. Uh, in those years, I would be fairly wealthy. Honestly, I always thought I'd be wealthy. Uh, and uh, when I, that's just kind of like, I didn't really care about what I was going to do. I just wanted to be wealthy. Uh, not Which you're great, not? But I'm not wealthy. No. 
Uh, in Bible oh, college, I thought uh, I, I had different opinions um, as God had saved me as, as a new Christian in Bible college. And I remember I kind of thought I would be like an important evangelist uh, by the time I was in my th- 30s. And, uh, you know, and I've gotten midway through that. And then that clearly has not happened yet. And I don't think it will happen anytime in my 30s. So uh, definitely not what all what I expected for my life in 2020. But that's okay. So... Anyway, so, yep. but how has life turned out different than you expected it would have? Um, well, life has, uh, you know, I don't have hair or very much of it. <laughs> no. Um, I didn't foresee that one coming. And I actually did one of those, uh, you know, DNA tests recently, uh, cause it was given to me as a gift. And so I had like a 70 something percent chance of according to this of uh, not having hair loss and then like a 67 percent chance of not having uh, a, a bald spot or something and I'm like man I uh, blew both blew through uh, both of those but um, more seriously um, I mean I think life's just harder than I expected you know I remember my dad telling me when I was a kid about the the difficulties of being an adult and the responsibilities and I was in middle school or high school and I said dad you make it sound like it's awful and there's just no fun and he said well <laughs> there is a lot of a lot of stress you have to deal with a lot of responsibilities I mean I certainly have joy in my life and uh, I mean joy from the Lord and, and joy in circumstances but life is uh, it's more challenging and I think some of it because I grew up in a a godly home and uh, there was a good bit of stability there and stuff and so there were things that I was shielded from that maybe others who didn't have those those blessings they had to, to reckon with earlier in their lives but I think that's probably the thing that stands out most. How about in your case? Yeah. So I'd say like in terms of like even career, like it's interesting because, you know, we have to be careful of thinking careers in the sense of, of like a secular career. Because what we do is in some ways different. Uh, Brothers, but, you know, you're not professionals. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yes. And, uh, but you know, I expected, I remember as a young Christian, I thought it was going to be some hot shot. And part of it was because I listened to and watched the hot shot preachers, uh, to get my growth, which was not always good. Uh, and, and instead, you know, I've had a fairly ordinary ministry and, you know, in some sense, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, lowly, you know, as I've seen, you know, people that uh, are younger than me uh, go into more prestigious type of ministry positions. Uh, I love the position that I'm in for the glory of God. Uh, the I didn't expect that my life's turned out different. Instead of the wealthy life, I live in a split level older home, and that and you know it meets our needs. But I didn't anticipate that. Uh, and uh, and I'll say God has blessed every part of this. So God has blessed all of it, but definitely was not what I expected by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, yeah, I think I mean that share a lot of us, and I had visions of of you know grandeur uh, even as a believer. But uh, I mean, earlier, I probably a little earlier than you, I had a sense of going into ministry. But um, yeah, so so I want to talk about then with seeing how you know our lives did not turn out as we anticipated them. Uh, and I suspect almost all the adult listeners would say that, you know, uh, there's only right. one pre- there's only one president in the United States. And uh, many, many people have dreamed that they would become the president. Uh, the not a lot of people have gone into space. And I'm sure a lot of a lot of people <laughs> listening probably dreamed they would as a kid. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, there's a whole lot of people that wanted to play pro sports, and there's a tiny fraction that actually have. Yep, and a whole lot of them wanted to have hair, and there are people like you that don't. I know, I know. Dream shattered. Exactly. So then what is contentment, Ben? Well, it's being satisfied with the Lord and what he's provided, whether that's materially, situationally, physically with your health, relationally. Uh, you could just expand that. Uh, it's not edging for more or for different. Uh, it involves not complaining. It's it's trusting God's goodness in the middle of the circumstances that you find yourselves. Um, that's, I guess not the most concise definition, but I think that, that touches on a lot that's involved. No, I think that's great. So I, I think it's interesting because I think our world has a very different definition of it. And I was doing some research for this podcast and oftentimes contentment is seen as like kind of settling uh, or just being fine with it. How, how it is like, you know, you don't like it, but you know, whatever uh, is, it's kind of like, it's a, a loosely negative term. I think contentment, which is not what contentment is meant to communicate at all. Uh, you know, the, I mean, contentment isn't about settling. Uh, instead, I think like a lot of what you said is so true, uh, but really, I think that it's trusting that what God has given us is good and right. Uh, and I think that's what can t- and whether it be in our house, whether it be in our jobs, whatever, whatever God has allowed us to have us has given us is good and right for us. It, it's what we need. It's what we benefit from uh, in this situation. It's not to say that's all we'll ever have, but it's to say that, you know, we know that God's going to work in this. And this is this is plenty in a lot of ways. I think a great uh, passage in the Bible to talk that talks about contentment is a famous one. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. 13. I rejoice uh, that uh, in the Lord greatly that now and at length you've uh, vibed your concern for me. You indeed uh, concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Uh, I know how to be brought low and I know how to bound. In, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, which that verse is never taken out of context, right, Ben? Of course not. No, <laughs> it's not like used by athletes. <laughs> I, I can win this sports game, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's so annoying when you see that. <laughs> anyway, so context, 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 people. So That's right. Do you, re- do you think, Ben, that we live in a noticeably content country? Uh, and why, if not, why are Americans so discontent? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, you know, our culture is craving for more. Uh, now, things have changed some publicly, like with health. And so the the whole supersize meal thing, I mean, there's still plenty of people that do it. But it's, you know, eating healthy has become more popular and eating like, you know, vegan and all this stuff. Um, but bigger drinks, you, you want more followers on social media, more views, more money, just go on down the list. I mean, we're constantly driving for more. Um, 
and there's, I mean, you and I both, we worked at the same place while we were in seminary, and I had also worked, I mean, we both worked in other places other than ministry, and something that bothered me was this mentality that you always have to improve, you always have to be better, and I understand for your business to continue, you do need to to seek to grow it, because some of the streams of income may dry up, and so you, you want to be prepared for that, um, but it was almost this... I, to me, it just seemed unrealistic. It's like, yeah, we're always going to get better, always going to improve. And there can be some good to that, but underneath there can be, I guess, a, a lack of contentment. Um, but, you know, for, politically, we, we want more power for our side. And I think even, I mean, I, I talk about this a little later, but like stuff with the American dream, there's an element of it that's good, but I think it can also be fueled by greed and um, just our, I mean, capitalism has its benefits, it has its drawbacks, and one of those is it's, it's, it is assuming that the greediness of human nature and that, you know, wanting more, um, and it can benefit people, can also hurt people. Um, but I'm not an economist, so I don't want to get into uh, an area I don't know very well, but you can certainly observe that from the outside, even, you know, being a, a layman. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one aspect that we can definitely see that our culture is not content is in credit card debt. Uh, and mm, I do yeah. want to preface this by saying that I, I do not at all believe that all credit card debt is inherently sin. You know, I think that if, say, that you're listening and you're a young adult uh, or, you know, young family uh, and your your van that meets your basic needs goes down and you have to put it on a credit card and pay it off in the minimum payments, that is not sin. Uh, it's trying to be faithful at times even. But the average household a credit card debt the average household right now has $6,000 in credit card debt. That's current. Oh, the average household is $6,000 in credit card debt. Isn't that crazy? It is. And I'm going to guess a lot of it's consumer debt. It's not putting medical bills on there. I mean, though that could be part of it, but I would imagine a lot of that's consumer debt. Yeah. And so I think that fact, the fact that consumer debt occupies so much of our, our credit system right now is it blatant demonstration you know i think the i mean inherently the act of i can't afford this playstation 5 coming out and so i'm going to put it on a credit card and i'm going to pay it off uh in hopes that eventually i get more money uh yeah i mean that's inherently an act of discontentment uh the and i think we really have this manifest destiny society and with that that we've had for a long time it's going to be a hard time way to have contentment it's going to be difficult when we have the uh, come up in a society of go west young man to have real contentment and i think we also see class ascent in america is a lot more common than it actually is which also leads to discontentment and there i mean there's lots of evidence that most people believe that you know that it's, it's far more common to go from lower class to upper class in America when it's actually exceedingly rare uh, in most cases. And so I think that can lead to a discontentment as well. But I think lastly, in terms of religion, we in America so often treat God as the co-pilot in our life. And we really read religious books that advocate going into debt in a house. I mean, actually, I know of a of a, a famous Christian author, like one of the most famous American pastors, and he wrote a book when we were in college on that said that, you know, basically it's, it's considering the greater things of God 
when we decide to buy the bigger house that puts us in greater debt uh, because, you know, God's giving that to us. And I, that is discontentment in its very heart. Yeah, that's a good point. I was reading something last night that was kind of charting some political ideas and things over a span of 150 years. And I was talking about how the the boom after World War II and the prosperity that came created this hunger for material goods. And so the working class, you know, they weren't like, oh, we're being oppressed. And, you know, we it's like, we just want stuff. We, we want lots of stuff. And so then other politicians that came along, you know, a few generations later said, okay, well, we can, we can help you with that. And here we'll we'll provide a great economy for you to have stuff and i mean it's now like having a a thriving economy is a good thing for a country it it can really um it can bring a lot of of good and uh across the board but because of human sinfulness it can also bring greed and discontent oh i've got to get more and um you know uh yeah that's probably enough to say about that but thought so why is discontentment really a sin, Ben? You know, uh, we can discontentment has led a lot of people to do some really bold things. So why is this a sin? I guess most fundamentally, it questions God's goodness, maybe His control, His rule. But it's like God, you're not taking care of me. It's, it's impugning His character. That's right. So. Yeah, I think also a very real aspect of discontentment is greed. And that is like you cannot be greedy and be discontent, but oftentimes so much of that is tied into a kind of greed. Uh, And I think it's also worldly and strives for comfort. You know, it sees this life as like what we're to live for. You know, it it feels like our satisfaction is in something other than Christ. Uh, And then I think it spits in the face of God's good gifts, which is a lot of what you were saying. Yeah, and that's a hard line. I mean, that's something I struggle with um, because God did give us bodies, and First Timothy talks about he's given us all things for us to enjoy and to receive with thanksgiving, and then yet we're not to lay up our treasures here, and so how you, um, how you navigate through that. I mean, I think there are matters of conscience and um, I mean, I read a Piper quote recently. Somebody else was quoting him in a book, and it was talking about uh, our relationship to money and possessions. And it said, just because you can't uh, tell the different, the exact difference between dawn and or night and day, you can tell when it's midnight. Like knowing when is too much. And um, I, I think that there are that there's wisdom to that. You can look at some things. And go, yeah, I think that's. That's probably excessive, but it's not always that clear. And so that is yeah. a hard line to – I think you have to evaluate your motives and uh, hold it up against the, the word. Now, I'm going to get very early 2000s Disney Channel here, Ben. Uh, isn't ambition a good thing? Uh, shouldn't we settle for no- nothing less than our dreams, Ben? Of course. I mean, just follow your dreams, shoot for the moon, you'll land among the stars or whatever. Well, I will say, ambition can be a good thing if it's aimed at the right kinds of things for the right kinds of reasons. I mean, it was Paul's ambition to to go to Spain with the gospel. Uh, that's a good kind of ambition for the right kinds of reasons. I mean, he he was concerned about God's glory, uh, concerned about sinners being saved. 
and even I mentioned the American Dream a minute ago. It might be a little bit okay, but often or even usually, it's about building our kingdom here and now. And you know, you talk about the the manifest dis- destiny stuff. You know, and we really romanticize a person chasing their dreams, a dream job, dream home, whatever. The thing is, most people don't realize their dreams. I mean, you said at the beginning, most adults listening to this, their adult life looks differently than what they imagined it would, almost certainly. And so um, I think it is coming to terms with reality. We live in a fallen world, and often our dreams, uh, our eyes are bigger than, you know, kind of like our eyes are bigger than our stomach. Um, we we hope for and desire more than we're actually able to to realize. Yeah. I'll just add a couple things. I, I definitely think it's okay to work hard uh, that, uh, you know, and uh, really have that kind of ambition and strive and work hard at your job or whatever within reason. Uh, but it's not okay to obsess and find satisfaction in this kind of ambition. Uh, and uh, so I think this mentality that our culture really and a lot of teens and kids come up in uh, this settle for nothing less than our dreams mentality and one it's unrealistic as you said again very few will become precedent very few will go to the literal star you know stars Uh, by the way I've always thought that's such a ridiculous statement Uh, shoot for the moon you might reach the stars you know Uh, learn a little bit about space people but anyway (laughs) this settle for nothing less than our dreams shows us that we live for us not Christ which is a huge problem and kind of at the core of discontentment Mm. so uh, I hope that the main thing you guys don't get from this is be more accurate in your scientific metaphors but anyway well you know I was thinking about it. There is actually, I mean, if you miss the moon, there's no friction to hold you back. And I guess you, if you get caught up in the uh, gravitational pull of another planet or something, but it would take you a long time to get to the stars. So <laughs> you might be drifting aimlessly for a while. Yeah. The, uh, I, that, this, that strikes me as odd. That and the uh, it's always darkest before the dawn statement. Like it is absolutely not darkest before, right before the dawn. It is darkest in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's just a matter of perspective, I guess, you know, <laughs> okay. relative. I guess so. All right. Is the thing we hoped for ever enough for the discontent Christian? No. There's always something else. I mean, to quote, I think it was John Rockefeller. I mean, he's just enormously wealthy, and he was asked, when would it be enough? And he's like, just, just one more dollar. Um, and... You know, if, say you want a spouse. Well, you get that spouse and you're like, wait a minute, they got some problems. You, oh, just if we just get a child. You get a child and then the child is disobedient or the child has health issues or the child is just hard. Well, then if we just get another child that's more obedient or easier going, you know, the job. Well, okay, man, people I work with are lousy. My boss is an idiot. I mean, it just – you. You could multiply examples, and I think probably everybody listening could look back on their life and identify those kinds of things where you got the thing you hoped for, and it didn't turn out to be quite what you had hoped. And so it just never will satisfy. Because Again, it's things in a fallen world, and so they're going to disappoint. Yeah. 
And I'll add, I think the funny thing is the more you have, the higher we raise the definition of a necessity. And I think I've seen that in my own life, you know, you know, as I've kind of, you know, we're not wealthy by any stretch now, but, you know, we were broke in considering and uh, we are and, you know, and the definition of need that we had there was a lot lower than their definition of need that we often have today. Uh, and, and I'll even say like my own self, like as an example of this too, is, you know, uh, the idea of discontentment just moves the, moves the bubble further down is, uh, I, I, we were in a situation about a year ago, actually about six months ago, where we had to buy a new fridge and our fridge w- went down and I got a, a pretty good fridge, the best fridge I've ever had objectively, uh, not like a high-end thing or anything, and at a good price, an objectively very good price. But afterwards, like a couple of weeks later, I saw a better fridge at the same price uh, and slightly better. And, you know, and I, I was kicking myself and discontent and like <laughs> upset with my decision. And it's not how silly that is, you know? Uh, that because objectively God <laughs> gave me a good deal and I don't have to be I don't have to be feeling my fridge isn't good enough now that you know <laughs> now that there's another option on the table. Yeah, that's a, that's a good real life illustration. Anyway, so but uh, what does our discontentment say about our theology, Ben? I think it says that we think we could do a better job than God. At taking care of ourselves, uh, we're wiser, we're better, we're more generous, more gracious, uh, whatever it is, and so we know what we need, and you know we would take care of these things, and so yeah, it just shows a lack of trust in him, uh, and believes lies about him. Yeah, one thing I'll add, it might seem weird, but I think it's kind of bad eschatology, you know. Uh, the the Egyptians would bury their pharaohs with uh, with a bunch of stuff, all the all the best stuff that they've accumulated, and hope basically they thought they'd take it with them. And uh, I don't think anybody believes that if they buy a jet ski, they get to have it in heaven. But I feel like we act as if you know. Uh, we act as if the stuff that we have is lasting and we focus on these things that are perishing. And so in a way, it's a bad eschatology, a bad theology of the end times because we, we live as if, you know, this is the ultimate period of our, our existence when we're envying things and we are full of greed and we're discontent when in reality, you know, the thing that we don't have, I mean, we don't have that for a very short period of our existence. I mean, in 10,000 years, uh, the majority of our existence will have been in perfect paradise. Uh, and, you know, and we act like that's not the case when we're discontent. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, we're supposed to, to lay up treasure where, uh, you know, it, it can't be taken away, it can't be ruined, but the jet ski will break at some point or run out of gas or whatever. Well, although jet skis are delightful, so. <laughs> I mean, so like, do you use, or have you had to get rid of the jet ski and like use kind of lower grade fuel in your yacht? Cause you're talking about like kind of not being at the, the upper tier of the needs change. Exactly. Yeah. So I actually, it's in tough. high school, my parents had a jet ski. So uh, I have a kind of own a jet ski legitimately <laughs> and, and it, and it broke. So we were up at my parents' cottage and, uh, the jet ski was not available to introduce to my kids, sadly. So it's a hard life not being able to use a jet ski, though, right? Man, you can tell they're suffering. 
I know, really. So, so what is the secret to contentment other than understanding we don't have to have a jet ski? Well, you see, I've uh, I've written a book about that, so you're gonna have to buy the book to find out. Um, you're gonna see my face all over the place. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, Philippi, you quoted that passage from or read the passage from Philippians four, and Paul uses the word secret, and I mean, as I understand it, the secret is being joined to Christ, union with Christ, uh, who strengthens us. He meets us. He satisfies our souls. And so we're looking to him. And again, that does we need the Lord, but God has created us with other needs as well, and, and he will meet those needs. Um, but ultimately what we need most is we were made for God. We were made to know him, to love him. Um, there was a quote I found related to this from a guy named Eric Raymond, and he said, Contentment is the abiding amen of our joy. It speaks in the present tense saying, I am tasting and I am seeing that the Lord is good. And, and that doesn't uh, doesn't say, well, I've got all the things that I want or even the things that I feel that I need or that I mean, maybe there is some lack that the Lord would have you have for some time before supplying that need. But that it's, it's a focusing on the Lord and his goodness. Yeah, that's great. So. I don't really have much to add on that. I think you really nailed that one. So how do parents pass on discontentment uh, rather than contentment sometimes? Hopefully, if I nailed the answer, hopefully I can uh, nail it more in my own life. But parents, uh, one way, I think, by modeling it. I mean, it's obvious, but, you know, when if we're complaining about our house, about our job, Complaining about the kid's teacher, about the church, the pastor, the boss, the car, money, you know, just the number of things that, that come across our, our plates and that, that we could be dissatisfied with. I think, too, if we encourage them to be overly or wrongly ambitious in the things that they pursue, it could train them to be discontent in their lives. I, what do you think? I, I think that's a lot of good stuff. So I definitely would agree that lacking gratefulness for the imperfect stuff we have is a huge way that uh, we can fall into that. And I think even like, you know, we've got some mild electrical issues with our van right now. And, uh, and you know, and the way that sometimes I complain about around our kids is not probably helpful for them growing contentment. Uh, and I think then the other way, though, can be like, you know, I've actually known of cases, you know, I, I've interacted with people that have talked about some lavish things uh, as kind of as kind of the goal and like as what they find satisfaction in. So perhaps, you know, you're listening and, you know, you guys have make sure that you guys have a lavish vacation every year. Uh, and, and you see that and you build in your family that, you know, this is our, our way out. This is our, this is kind of like our, our hope. This is what we need. We need this. And we're devastated if we don't get to have it because of COVID or whatever. I think these kind of things, even setting up lavish parts of lifestyles rather than sacrificial life can set a standard of kind of living for the easy life the good life as people like to talk about. So, uh, and you know, so I think sometimes maybe buying the bigger home with a longer commute to church or even longer commute to your work so that you get less family time can be a way that we pass on discontentment as a very practical thing. Yeah, that's, I like that. 
Now, how can parents have godly contentment in regards to their children and their future of their children? Uh, I think first we, they, need to, to remember and take confidence that God loves your child you know, more than you and that their life is in his good hands. Um, his good purposes will stand. That doesn't take away our responsibility to teach them. And, you know, we all have hopes and dreams for our children, which should be guided by God's word, God's priorities, that they love him and that they love others as themselves. They live for his glory. Um, that, that, that would be chief and not, well, I hope they become a CEO or a famous musician or X, Y, or Z, uh, but it's the things that, are, that matter most to the Lord, uh, but that his purposes will stand in their life and then pray for it and, and work to cultivate a spirit of contentment rather than discontent. Because, I mean, the kids are naturally going to be discontent with time. So um, just, and we'll you have this in one of the things, but, you know, just the habits we have in our home and uh, that kind of thing. How, what do you think? Yeah, so... Um, those are some good perspectives on that. So I, I will add that um, I think you decide that you'd be just as honored with a godly gas station employee as your son or daughter as you would be satisfied in having a godly CEO uh, for a son and daughter. You know, and I think that's easier said than done. But that is one thing I feel like it's so easy. Like, and this ambition when applied to our own kids is just rampant sometimes. Don't you feel like that, Ben? Oh, it is definitely um, with all the I mean, the, the, there's all this pressure to have this just amazing resume for the time they get to college so they can get into a good college and get a good job so that they can make a good salary and live in a good neighborhood. And, and um, it just seems to be amped up increasingly with the, as each generation passes. Yeah. And then, I, you know, related to that, I think we should be very careful with talking up our dreams for our kids like a lost person would. And, you know, and that's I mean, lost people, you know, some lost people, you know, they, they go, you know, the parties and brag and how how their their son is becoming a doctor. And, you know, and I think sometimes we can have that. We can act like that, too, as Christians. You know, we can like put our, our sense of even success of ourself uh, in what our kids are becoming that are things of this world, that, you know, things that are temporary rather than things that are eternal. Uh, then lastly, I'd say uh, don't save money for them to the neglect of giving to the Lord, which I'm all for, you know, if you can afford to help your kids pay for college, do it. If you can afford to help them have a nest egg, do it. But, you know, I know many cases where, even younger Christian families save for their future so that their kids can be successful to the neglect of giving to the Lord now. And I think that's an act of discontentment. That's a good point. Um, I, I was talking to a friend of mine about his, his brother had met with some financial consultant. He's got a daughter who, I don't know exactly how old she is, but she's a good ways from being married. And I think the guy's pretty successful. Um, and so they were talking about his plans for the future, what he might need to, to have saved. And they were discussing the wedding and the, the number that, that, that he told him was just astronomical. How much by the time, you know, his daughter reaches that age of being married, um, you know, to pay for that. And again, I think what my, my thinking on this has shifted with time. It is 
uh, something to celebrate, God's goodness in that. And it's a picture of the gospel, and there, there's a lot to celebrate there. How Again, it's one of those things like just because you can't tell the difference between night and day, you can tell when it's midnight, and there can be just some excessively lavish spending on wedding, making it like this fairy tale, um, and it's the day is all about us, and it, you know these kinds of things that I don't think ultimately honor the Lord. Now, where that line is, that's a can be a matter of conscience, um, but it, you, something you said too reminded me. You're talking about how people will brag on their kids, and a friend of mine um, went to college at Yale University which obviously is kind of a big deal, and uh, at least in most people's eyes. And his mom, his family's Puerto Rican, and his mom you know, learned to speak English as an adult. And so she pronounces her Ys with a, a J sound, a J. And so she was telling someone, oh, well, my son, my son goes to jail. And uh, you know, she's thinking the person is gonna be like really impressed. And they're looking at her like, what? And then she kind of realized, you know, they're like, your son went to jail and you're like, you're, you're happy about that. And, you know, it was just, I mean, it was a funny uh, instance of it. She was greatly pleased with that, um, but it didn't have quite the effect. <laughs> the person was not nearly as impressed. Uh, before the next question, I actually do want to add to this that uh, I wrote this discussion guide well before I'd even heard of this book. But just yesterday, our family got a copy of a book that I think is really related to this and especially helpful for young parents and navigating this specific area of contentment. It's called Wherever You Go, I Want You to Know uh, by Melissa Kruger. And I want to highly recommend I might even put a link for it in the show notes. Uh, that so people can buy that. I think that's a hugely helpful resource in developing contentment and right priorities with discipleship of our own kids. So, have cool. you read that yet? No, I've not heard of it. I mean, I've heard of Melissa Kruger, but I've not heard of that it's book. It's like brand new. So, but yeah, you should check it out. So, anyway, so uh, how can we raise up families characterized by contentment rather than discontentment, then? I think some of the, I mentioned, you know, some of those habits that we can have, um, our practices together, kind of the culture of our family, uh, but cultivating thankfulness. I mean, something simple, but just naming things that we're thankful for regularly. I mean, maybe when you're sitting there eating together, which I hope people are doing, they've kind of been forced to the last several months, but um, taking advantage of that time and, and looking for signs of or evidences of God's provision and his grace and just pointing it out and like, God, thanks that we've got food to sit down and eat. And thanks that, you know, we have a house to eat it in, that we get to be together and just very mundane things, not making it you know, this big, huge, like sermonizing it, but just trying to point those out. Um, one thing that stuck out to me that uh, in a family that I I don't know the family but a family I was aware of, um, they would not allow complaining about the weather, and the simple reason was that God is in charge of the weather. He sends the weather, and so when you grumble about it raining or about it being too hot or too cold, you're grumbling against God, saying God, you should have made it warmer or colder or drier. And so that's something that has stuck with me. Now I can't. I mean, there's time you know like man especially down here in this georgia humidity it's like it is so hot but just trying to not make comments in front of my children of grumbling about the weather because ultimately it is you know something god is in charge of Uh, what do you think no those are some great perspectives so 
I, I've got three different things. So uh, I think first, get to know uh, content Christians across classes and statuses. And mm, I think that's so. one way that, you know, you can build in your kids' contentment, that you that your contentment is not rooted in uh, getting a certain amount of money. And so this can mean even when you're church, finding, you know, something that's a different uh, financial state that loves the Lord and is content in the Lord and, and you know, get to know those people. Because oftentimes in churches, we it's I've said that uh, Sunday is the most segregated day of the year. It's probably true. I suspect that Sunday is likewise as uh, segregated by finances. Uh, you know, rich families hang out with rich families and poor families hang out with poor families. And, and that's not helpful for raising content Christians, uh, kids. Uh, but maybe even a mission trip is helpful for this. I can testify myself. I remember seeing a content, uh, seeing a family we went mission trip to a poor part of Mexico, and this family that we got to stay with, you know, they were like thankful for all they had and what they had. Like, I would have felt embarrassed to have at that time, uh, and they were contented and trusted the Lord, and I think that was really good for me. But another way is, you know, uh, like uh, a couple that we also know uh, that actually the husband just went on to be with the Lord, an older couple that was at my wife's home church, uh, that uh, they kind of have a reputation of using their plenty for hospitality with humility. Uh, and so that God has blessed them with a lot and they don't use their a lot to have lavish vacations, you know, to relax on the beach. Uh, they use their, they use what they have, you know, uh, so that they can house missionaries they've done so that they can really bless people uh, in really exuberant and amazing ways. And I think that doing that when you have kids Using your plenty to bless other people is going to be a great way to build contentment. And lastly, I'll say, confess your discontentment uh, when you're discontent around your kids. Like, own it and explain to your kids why it's foolish of you. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's really good stuff. So, la- so the last question is, how do churches help the next generations grow in contentment? Well. I think they start by teaching the parents about being content because the parents are going to set the tone for the home. And I think, you know, with our kids, we are climbing an uphill battle. I mean, small children may naturally, some are maybe more naturally content, some are more naturally discontent, just like some people struggle more with lying than others. I mean, we're just all wired differently in the ways that we are tempted to sin. But if the parents are learning to be content, that's going to help as they pass it on to their kids and influence them. I think that our churches need to not look like the culture in the things that we prize and that we normalize. Now, how you exactly go about that, I think it's a harder thing to accomplish. Um, you know, we had an episode before where we talked about our uh, the space that we use for our ministry and how it's not wrong, it can be good, it can be a blessing to have a designated space and how nice should that be and, and all those questions. And again, that's there's not a chapter and verse that you can go to. Um, I mean, the temple was, you know, blinged out, but God told them to, you know, put gold all over the place. He hasn't told us how to do that under the new covenant. And so we're in a new position. Um, but I think we don't, we shouldn't assume that we have to have the latest and the greatest and the nicest stuff. Um, having it ratty and dirty, that's, it's probably not needed. But at the same time, it doesn't need to look like some kind of resort. 
and and just the kinds of th- the way we talk about things, the, the illustrations that are used. Um, I remember uh, a friend of mine, which you you know him in college too, but he was ministering at a church that was in a poor neighborhood, and some curriculum they had, they were doing stuff with kids, and it was trying to give these real life examples to help the kids, you know, apply biblical truth. And there was an example about jet skis. You know, you talked about those earlier, and he's like. These kids have never even like they can't identify with that. They have no idea what it's to ride a jet ski, and they probably never will. Um, and so he just kind of was upset. He's like, "We need got We have to find something different that's not uh, portraying something as normal that most th- these kids are not going to have a taste of." And so I think there's things we need to be sensitive of, uh, depending on our context. But yeah, I, I think that's a pretty that can be a kind of a complex one in some ways, uh, at least the, the way I was taking it. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, I think you really hit the nail on the head. I, I, I the only thing I would add is like, and this really relates to what you said at the beginning is I think just be very careful with the chase for cutting edge church programs or cutting edge whatever in the church uh, and children and youth ministry because I think that can be a chase that that just produces discontentment. And again, I know of a church related to the building. I was at, at a church for a conference, actually, uh, and uh, that church, um, they had cr- this cr- this crazy children. All their all the rooms were, like, decked out with these crazy, like, uh, mazes and, like, um, slides. And, you know, they had, you know, they, they had all these themed chairs that were, like, gonzo expensive and i was talking to somebody that was doing the children's ministry there and and they said you know they felt it's just so important that even though it stretched their budget uh that they provide this kind of thing for the kids so that they can can know to have something excited to be excited about when they come to church and i feel like no i think you're giving your kids building and discontentment in kids uh, and in a really dangerous way, perhaps. And again, it's not inherently wrong, you know, if uh, that if it's normalized to have squirrel chairs uh, <laughs> for the kids, you know, I suppose there's nothing wrong with having a squirrel chair. Uh, but, you know, I think if this kind of stuff is like what they get excited about, you know, they're going to grow pretty discontent when, you know, God might lead them to be any, you know, a poor church in the inner city and they, they're not as excited anymore. That's a good point. So anyway, so while I'm going to uh, spin around my squirrel chair as we kind of wrap around <laughs> today and uh maybe uh next year we'll get something more excited for marvel than marvel league for sports but i think we can be content even if the best thing that we get is marvel sports next year right ben amen all right well it's good talking to you brother and uh i hope all listeners are blessed with this discussion thank you for joining us for this episode of the theological family ministry podcast If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.